Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Deep Dives. This is Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBook.com, alongside John Galati. This is our second iteration of this new feature we're starting where we take a look into one comic book series at a time that we're extremely excited about. And in this case, something else that's on our 2019 best of list, it's the Immortal Hulk. And as I mentioned, I'm joined today by John. He is writer supreme over at Comic Book Herald, editor supreme for all the videos that are going up on the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel, or is he both? Spirit <laughs> of the Immortal Hulk, we can always be more than one thing. How's it going, John? It's going all right. I'm one by day and one by night. One by day. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. So we're going to get really deep into the Immortal Hulk today. We're going to look at this series. I think the big question that I want to frame, we've got a number of questions, but the big one that I want to frame for our conversation today is why has the Immortal Hulk been such a hit, both critically, this is a almost universally beloved book, you see it on all sorts of best ofs in 2018 and continuing into 2019, and also, like, why is it so popular? The book is selling very, very well, which is kind of uncommon for Hulk comics. It's been kind of relaunched and restarted a bunch over the last decade. Um, but it's also pretty uncommon for a book going into its 20th issues. You know, it's why we see Marvel rebooting with new number ones all the time is obviously that is uh, kind of a challenge. Once you get to like issue 16, 17, is the book still selling? And in the case of The Immortal Hulk, there have been some features recently. There's a really good one written by um, a journalist, Chase Magnet, over on comicbook.com. Immortal Hulk sales have actually increased as the book has continued, which is like mm. almost unheard of, you know? So I want to talk about why. Like, what what is it about this book that it's succeeding in that manner? And we're going to talk about a whole host of other things. So we're going to talk about, I think, the first 22 issues of the book that have been released today. If you are unfamiliar with these or don't want anything spoiled, um, I would recommend go read these. We can do it along with the CBH uh, Reading Club over on patreon.com slash herald where I'll be announcing what's going to be our deep dive in the month, and then you can read along. Uh, but again, if you want to like pause here, go read 22 Issues of Hulk. Highly recommended. Come on back and listen to our conversation. Or if you just want to know what's going on, hey, stay and hang with us, and we're going to be talking Hulk. So let's get into it, John. I think first... The, the one thing that really stood out to me about Immortal Hulk is it's a vision by creators Al Ewing and Joe Bennett primarily on art. And it's this vision and it's kind of a style where the comic, the character of the Hulk, breaks away from the formula that we've yeah. known in the past. You know, like there's there's kind of a, a Hulk that everyone knows, the big green rage monster and the mad, you know, the angrier he gets, the madder he gets, the stronger he gets everyone is somewhat familiar, right? And then, of course, there's like the big MCU version where he's even kind of an Avenger. How does not only Immortal Hulk, but like Marvel Comics break away from their formulas in order to create something that can be so amazing, so deep into a character's history? And I would say examples of series like this would be like the Fraction Age of Hawkeye, King Walt of Vision, and even like Hickman on Powers of X or Powers of Ten, House of X right now. What do you think Immortal Hulk's doing that follows the same vein where it's like it's something so special it breaks away from the formula i think for immortal hulk in particular what they're really doing is they are touching the third rail of removing banner as much as possible in other iterations of the hulk uh usually banner plays this big controlling influence or he is uh absorbed into it in the way that like peter david did with professor hulk so there's a lot of there's a lot of banner there's either an adversarial or an almost um, cumulative effect between the two characters. And Immortal Hulk really kind of does away with them in a way that's fascinating to me. Because in, on the one hand, they've made not as smart as he used to be. 
And we don't know if that's scar tissue from getting shot in the brainstem by uh, Hawkeye way back when, or if that's something else that's going on. Maybe Hulk is bringing him down and making him dumber now. So that's a, a great aspect to it. But there's also the fact that Bruce Banner has to restart his day every single time. With Hulk coming on at night, usually it felt like Bruce temporarily became Hulk, but now it feels like Hulk is temporarily becoming Bruce. He's waking up naked. He has no clothing. He needs food. Like, how do you build a life for yourself if you know that every night the Hulk is going to wake up and destroy something every night? Back in the day, like in the 70s and the 80s, even in David's run, uh, until they merged both personalities, Hulk only came out every so often. Now he's out every single evening. And with Joe Fixit taking over at one point during the day, it was 100% Hulk, different iterations, but still 100% monster. And I think that change is really what's catalyzed this by getting Banner out of the way. That we got into here thinking that Banner had killed the Hulk, and now it almost seems like the Hulk has killed Banner. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And it's so let's there's a piece of this that I wanted to touch on a little bit later in terms of like use of continuity, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit here because Ewing is taking what happened in Civil War II, which is a Marvel Comics event, 2016, written by Brian Michael Bendis. And in that issue, somewhat famously, I guess, spoilers for Civil War II. <laughs> if you haven't read it, I don't recommend you do so. Um, but like Bruce asks Hawkeye, he's like, if, you ever, if it ever looks like I'm going to Hulk out, I want you to shoot me with this gamma radiated arrow I made just for this occasion and kill me. And Clint's like, I don't want to do that. Bruce insists. And then Clint does so in this moment. It's kind of like the crux of Civil War II is this big thing where it looks like the Hulk's going to rage out and kill a bunch of people. Hawkeye takes him out. And Ewing plays with that in order to set the stage for a Bruce Banner that we know has died, has been brought back to life by the Hulk, effectively. And like that premise is basically the Hulk always comes back. Banner can die, but the Hulk cannot. Like you said, the night is his time. So anytime it's night, going back to the Lee Kirby days of kind of like how the the semantics of when does Hulk come out, the Jekyll and Hyde relationship, it's, you know, okay, it's dark, the monster comes out. That's that's Hulk's relationship now. And also you have Banner very specifically being like something in that maybe it was something in the arrow made me like I'm still intelligent, but I'm not like a genius anymore necessarily. I'm like, you know, the Tony Stark, like top, you know, Amadeus Cho, Reed Richards, genius level of the world. And he admits several times throughout the story, the Hulk's smarter than me now. And it's not the first time we've seen a smart Hulk, but it's the first time I remember seeing Banner admit that. Well, it's and the first I, time we've seen a smart Hulk that didn't have Banner, I think. That wasn't, like, merged with Banner. Like, Banner, it, right, right. Like, Banner's in control, therefore he's still smart kind of thing. No, it's, like, a totally different Hulk personality who's just super intelligent um, in the ways that he is. And, and they kind of go on to define that. But, it, yeah, I think, like you're saying, it kind of is removing Bruce Banner as a player. Like, he doesn't—he just kind of go—like, he, he's literally following the, like, he's— the gamma that the hulk is sensing yeah. he's just kind of following it around and finding trouble and being like where can i put the hulk so he's of most use there's only like one sequence after the um the really like insane uh, eruption of sasquatch in the hospital where mm -hmm. it's kind of revealed that like okay the hulk is back the world knows this sasquatch just killed a bunch of people but it looks you know people are kind of blaming the hulk and there's only like a couple maybe like a few pages where Banner's like, he's been up for a couple days and he's trying to keep the Hulk at bay. But even then, 
He's only doing it because he thinks something else kind of supernatural came in to infect the Hulk. So yeah, I think you're spot on in saying this one's breaking away from Hulk formula because the story isn't Banner by day, Hulk by night. It's kind of like Hulk all the time and Banner's just around. And I think what we've seen over the course of 22 issues is you talked about it being 100% monster with Joe Fixit personality taking over Bruce Banner. I think now Bruce Banner just as himself is like, 100% 100% monster like he's he seems game too even when maybe he's in his faculties so it's it's all sort of moving towards this devil hulk persona um and and whatever the agenda is there and i think that is compelling i think that's like people read hulk comics i think generally for good hulk not necessarily for bruce banner so i think it's all kind of working um i also wrote down some elements of like what what makes a series a long-running series work so I'm curious what your take is on this. Um, when it like basically like what makes it special? What makes it break away? The first one I wrote down was a commitment to vision and themes. Just like this book is it has a purpose. It has a vision and it's going to commit to that. In the case of the Immortal Hulk, there's also then like the the piece that comes along with that. If creative consistency, like the same people and their vision are working on this book. And for the most part, it's Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. You know, like they're even when they have other artists join in, they're committed to what they're calling, quote unquote, the horror Hulk all the time. So I think that is a huge part of it. I think adding something new is an element that like is absolutely essential to transcending what the comic or what the character has been before. In this case, I think like, yes, there's the horror thing that everybody talks about. But actually, the bigger thing for me that they're adding is like dark magic. Mm -hmm. I've never thought of Hulk as sort of supernatural. And they're doing a lot here where he is. How is that how's that working for you in terms of like the dark, hellish sort of supernatural aspects? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting take on it. Because on the one hand, to me, Hulk has always had some element of the supernatural to him. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way back from when he fought uh, the Wendigo and Wolverine joined in. Like yeah. there have frequently been these kind of reasons to have one monster fight another. I don't know that it's ever it's always felt like uh, like Hulk was science's monster up against some other, you know, non-science folklore, folk magic kind of idea, you know, ignorance versus right. intelligence idea. And I think now that he's getting sucked into this heaven and hell aspect, or at least hell aspect to it mm-hmm. that's going on, seeing him in a kind of uh, Judeo-Christian form is really fascinating too to me. And I don't know how they're going to blend that. And they've been going kind of deep because when Hulk uh, goes into the hell dimension with the um, with Jackie, mm-hmm. he goes across this area that's this destroyed city. And one of the buildings belongs to Jason Hellstrom. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, so. that the actual son of Satan like is in there. So it's an interesting kind of plug into that area. Uh, I really that's the part I'm the most excited about right now with Hulk is seeing this whole new avenue open up to him. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's that's what the next element actually I kind of had was like one easy way to get critical acclaim with a superhero comic, slow down the superheroics. <laughs> like it works nine times out of ten, especially if all the, you know, the vision and the creative consistency is there. And in Hulk, it's not it's not doing it as hard as like Fraction Age of Hawkeye or like Vision by King and, and, and uh, Walter yeah. Hernandez. But it's doing it, you know, and it's it's saying like it's not Hulk versus the Avengers all the time, although there's a very cool two issue sequence where it is. But it's also like just, yeah, the Hulk in hell. 
And it's a version of hell that I don't know that it even maps to the many versions of Marvel hell that we know. Like, is this Mephisto's hell? Is this Thor's 1L hell? I, no, I don't think it is. Like, this I is thought the this green was, hell. Yeah, I thought this was almost like uh, an Americana hell because it's taking place around, you know, all these nuclear test sites that mm-hmm. it feels it feels like the irradiated wasteland hell that I don't know mm-hmm. that we've seen yet. So I let's let's jump to this one since we're talking about it. So, like, the third story arc is the Hulk in hell. And, uh, you know, effectively, more or less. And basically, he travels there after an insane fight with uh, a gamma-infused absorbing man where uh, the gamma-infused absorbing man, at one point, like, the dark infection splits his body in half. And this is one thing that Joe Bennett in the book does so well is, like, body horror in this comic is, like, bar none. Like, just the way they draw grotesque, gruesome transformation oh, yeah. bodies coming apart it's like it's it's pretty incredible there's a lot um, of john carpenter in it yeah for sure you can see it and so and like at one point hulk rips absorbing so absorbing man's spine comes out of his split body hulk uses his spine like a ball and chain to like whiplash absorbing man like his old weapon it's like it's it's wild but anyway all that ends with hulk absorbing man uh puck sasquatch mm-hmm. walter Lankowski. And this new character, the reporter, Jackie Manning, I think. Well, she's based on the reporter from the 70s TV show. Oh, was okay, Jack cool. Manning. Okay, very cool. I, I have no familiarity with 70s Hulk. It was he in my Netflix queue for what years. <laughs> I know. I'm, it's, a, it's a huge blind spot for sure. Um, I've, seen the, I've seen the opening credits. That's about it. <laughs> but yeah, they all wind up in this hell. And it's this place where, like, the green door leads to, and that's a big buildup throughout, you know, kind of what is that. But your question was, Marvel's editor brought back a lot of devils lately. Are they chasing the Thanos formula? Is it pre-election savvy? Which I think is an interesting take on it. Um, You ask, are they finally realized that Vertigo has been doing Satanism better than them for decades? I have my take. What's, What's your take on why... Marvel might be seeming to take this route. I think it makes business sense for them to do it in a pre-election year because heaven and hell themes always do well during our elections. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, Christian saber rattling anytime that we're getting close to this. So maybe that's part of why they would, but why they are, I don't know. Like I I always thought it was strange that Marvel went light on actual christian heaven and hell satanism except in like ghost rider or uh for brief brief moments here or there whereas dc was always really comfortable with it and i think it's the idea that there's a lot of richness to that you know that old uh that old lore the heaven and hell the actual god versus actual satan idea mm-hmm. um that i think after they saw how well vision did in in going with morality and trying to build depth of character that the next logical step is to start exploring some of these ideas. Like I don't, I don't know how else they would go about doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's an interesting take. I definitely think um, Marvel's been playing with story set in hell somewhat consistently lately. Um, there was the event Damnation, which brings like hell to Las Vegas, which is pretty on the nose. Um, there's in the Thor by Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo. In one of the earlier arcs, there's like a whole story set in you know single L hell. Um, yeah, and then right now in Avengers, you've got some Ghost Rider stuff going on in a version of Hell. I, I find Hulk's the most interesting. I think the reason I find the Hulk's the most interesting is I kind of see it less as like religious, you know, biblical Hell or even like Dante's Inferno type Hell um, and, and more like 
the the counterbalance to Al Ewing's interest in Marvel Cosmic. So he's playing throughout this as this is the one below all, which is to me like a very clear reference to the one above all, which is on the Marvel Cosmic hierarchy, like AKA God, AKA probably looks exactly like Jack Kirby, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in most depictions um, or Jim Starlin maybe. Yeah, totally. So I think the one below all to me is like, maybe a, a cosmic supernatural version of if Marvel cosmic heaven is the one above all. And it's not really like angels and, and like, you know, fluffy clouds and, you know, big white beard God. It's, it's more like, I don't know, Marvel's version of like, what is the peak of the cosmos should have a mapping version below. And I kind of think that's what Ewing is doing here. And I think that's why I find it more interesting because you've got like, Mephisto's realm is sort of the more Satanish version. And definitely, like you said, like anything Ghost Rider is playing with more typical um, depictions of heaven and hell, I think. I, I would like that's a really interesting idea. And I like I like where your head's at with that. But I would push back a little bit to say that, you know, between the nomenclature and calling him Devil Hulk, the couple quotes ahead of time uh, in the books, the books open with quotes, by the way, we're going to start here. Uh, and I think in two of them, he's got both Milton and Dante Algieri, uh, yep. which feels like if you're not, if you're going to go cosmic, it would feel weird to tease them with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like you're it right. It would almost make more sense to quote from H.P. Lovecraft or, or uh, uh, the guy who did Gotta Roll Them Bones, um, whose name is now escaping me. But, you know, the, the classic cosmic horror, cosmic devils in hell idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. The, the quotes are definitely of a more religious tenant there's you know paradise lost and stuff in there so yeah that's that's a really good point i guess maybe it is supposed to be a more uh religious depiction of hell and and i i think the interesting thing about this hell and and really about like the big bad of the immortal hulk is we're going to talk about like some of the characters who are kind of the antagonists but like really the the devil is bruce banner's father um who is the hulk's father i think is like a correlation that maybe we don't always make throughout marvel history you know you think of bruce banner's dad is like he's got a history of being abusive and and cruel and somewhat you know he's he's sinister definitely but you don't always think of him as the hulk's dad you know but like it it, it's sort of ewing's laying the ground here where this father figure it's like he kind of knew the hulk was born with bruce it's like they were always connected even before the gamma bomb which is an interesting idea um, and it really, it really gets under your skin with like the, this dad is like evil incarnate. You know what I mean? Like he's, he is the devil, but it's still, I think even through 22 issues, I don't really know what he is. Yeah. They've been you know? really sparing with him, which is great. Like, yeah. That's kind of what you want us to withhold that a little bit and just give us dole out little mysteries. Yeah, totally. So you mentioned them. So let's, let's ask this question, the quotes. So every issue of Immortal Hulk begins with a literary quote leading into like you know the story and their framing devices that i think provide um potential you know discussion points or connections definitely thematically i'm sure it's it's mm. intended to be connective tissue you ask basically like are they good or are they pretentious and unearned i think my take on this is kind of yes to both <laughs> like okay yes they're pretentious but also i love that it, like okay. they are Absolutely. Like there's a pretension here that is going for literary ambition, but I actually quite like when comics take the time to do that. And I think 
because they again going back to like the elements of what breaks away from formula and superhero because they commit so heartily to this vision of morality and explorations of good and evil essentially through the lens of this devil hulk i think the quotes are like i'm always kind of excited when that first page is a quote and i'm really curious Mm. right off the bat to sort of contemplate what is this going to mean for the story what does it mean going forward um it's kind of like uh I don't know. It's like those pre pre recap montages in Game of Thrones where they're like previously sure. on and they tell you everything that's going to happen in the episode. But it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like clips telling you basically everything that's going to happen. Mortal Hulk does that, but in ways that like are way, way more confounding. Like you don't it, it gives you hints of what might happen, but probably you won't know what that quote means until you get to the end of the issue. And probably even then, in my case, at least I then have to go back and mm-hmm. explore like, OK, now knowing what happens. How's that quote going to apply? So I actually really love him. What do you think? I got to start by saying that I really love Al Ewing's work here. And I don't mean this as a slight, but I did not like them. Okay. It's, you know, it's two pet peeves of mine. One of them is the fact that I think that if you're going to pick quotes, they should be a little bit more illuminating on the stuff. And I just didn't, you didn't, I didn't too vague. find them well, not too vague, but just more like they weren't surprising. They didn't change my interpretation of the book. Um, and the other thing, you know, it's I'm going to one up pretension here by saying that uh, I, I got drilled by my lit teachers early on that if you can't say a thing yourself, don't go outside to get it in. Mm. That it's the whole idea that if you're borrowing things from outside, more often than not, it looks like a weakness. And this is a really strong book. I don't yeah. I don't think that it's weak. I don't think that it's poorly written. But also, I'm looking at these quotes. and it's, Like I said before, they've got Milton and Dante in this. I'm like, that's, those are super obvious picks, and the picks aren't that amazing. I did love, uh, they did have a pick, I think, of Virginia Woolf, which is a nice pull. Mm-hmm. That issue was really, really good. But otherwise, I didn't, I didn't care for him. Interesting. That's, I, I actually find this pretty fascinating because I think this is, it's kind of in vogue right now in a number of ways. So I can, I can think of a couple examples that are similar to this, if, but different. So like Hickman on X-Men right now is beginning more or less every issue of House of X or Powers of Ten with a quote from a character within the own book or within the series, right? So it's like, it's generally a quote that will occur throughout, you know, the dialogue in that comic. And it's kind of a framing device the exact same way, but from someone within the book, but of course written by Hickman himself. So he's not actually pulling from outside. He's pulling from himself. Then there's Tom King in everything he's done over the last like year or two. Yeah. He has gone quote heavy and pulling in third party uh, like poems and stuff in a way that is, I, I think, like unbearable. Like, I think it's gotten <laughs> to the point of because sure. you'll have pages, pages of action that are just like there's just like a poem going through it. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's pulled from a third party or like actually I just read a uh, Batman issue where it's like a it's it's a tale. It's like a Aesop's fable type thing, you know, and it's like it's kind of incongruous. And I just feel like. I don't know if it's even phoning it in so much as it just doesn't work for me. And I think that's why I appreciate the Ewing version here is it's just one. <laughs> it's just one. Yeah. And it's right off the bat. And then everything else is is in the shadow of that idea. So I, I totally get your take. I do think it's I don't know. I don't know that I would miss them. And it's definitely a bold play. I think when you have whatever, 22 pages of story to commit one of them to all black in a quote. 
like, yeah you know you're that's definitely got some you're asking something of the reader to to you know pony up for that um but yeah no i i think it generally works and at this point it'd be weird to take him away oh yeah no he's got to go forward <laughs> right yeah I, c- I could use a few more a little more outside the box type references though i think that would that would benefit them as well um okay cool so i think big picture we again like getting back to the the main core is this like i think we both agree this is a really good hulk comic I think we both agree this is a really good superhero comic. I would say it's, for me, it's probably, like, in the realm of, like, my second favorite Marvel book in 2019. I think it was my favorite of 2018. So it's very high up there for me. I quite like it. Again, getting back to the question of why is it so successful for the Hulk, the villain. Villain always plays a role in this book. We talked about Hulk's One Below All, Devil Dad being kind of part of it, which I think has been very successful. You asked the question, General Fortain, or General Fortain, he's kind of the, he's the leader of Shadowbase. It's the organization that is trying to capture Hulk. So there's a long history of the military trying to obtain and stop the Hulk. This is a Shadowbase. It's literally that. It is, you know, under, like, under the radar. Nobody seems to know about it except those who do. General Fortain, I had to look up. I assumed he was a protege of General uh, Thunderbolt Ross's from, like, way back when. You know, that probably he had a long Marvel history. He's actually pretty recent. He yeah. he kind of comes in during like the Red Hulk days, which yeah, I was I very surprised up. by. Yeah, I was the same way. I'm like, because I I got him uh, confused with. Uh, there's a character from Peter David's run that's yeah. at the very beginning. Yeah, who was the head of the Hulkbusters? I got him confused for that dude. I since was thinking the same. Very similar because they go to like, is that like the Rock and Redeemer stuff? It's been a while since I read the yeah, David run. That's the Redeemer armor. They go to the moon. It's that one. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I had the same thing. Um, and then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, this is a totally different character, and he's kind of new. So your question is basically like, is he a good villain antagonist? Is he? Does he measure up to the storyline? I would have said for like 15 issues or so, no. I didn't even realize yeah. he was the villain. You know what I mean? Like I thought. There's the doctor that sort of experiments on all the, when they get the Hulk's body parts in a bunch of mm-hmm. different jars, like to, he was the villain for me for initially, aside from the, the whatever devil sinister thing is coming into the Hulk. It's clearly like the real problem. But then that individual is absorbed by the Hulk <laughs> and quite literally absorbed in like issue 10. So I'm like, okay, it's not him. But then over the last, like, I don't know, five, seven issues, it's become clear, like we've gotten a lot more detail about this new general, the leader of Shadowbase, and his history as a protege of Ross's, and kind of why he set out to take down the Hulk. And it's a lot of the same reasons, I think, that the the leaders of the military have always been set out. Like, the Hulk is vicious and destroys and kills and is never held accountable. And I think they're all, they're all like, kind of understandable reasons, I think, that, you know, as, like, fans of superhero comics, we see as the problems with the Hulk— I think what's made 14 really interesting lately is his willingness to experiment and accept necessary evils, including what is now become like the abomination armor, which is this grotesque use of the abomination skin and suit that can like graft onto a person. And after they had experimented and grafted this onto Rick Jones in one of the like grossest like oh, yeah. manipulate like rick jones has not had a good immortal hall let's just say <laughs> like it's been a rough three to four years for rick jones um <laughs> for sure i i'm wishing him well in the future but after that 
whole sequence going awry, Fortier puts on the abomination armor himself. So I think now he's become really compelling to me. Like now he is quote unquote the abomination, but he's not Emil Blonsky like we knew. He's not just like, you know, like Dark Hulk or whatever, which is basically what the abomination's been in the past. That was a lot. What do you think? Is is he a good villain? Like is he I think he's gonna get more interesting, I guess is the thing. And I prefer him to Ross's fire and brimstone, which they talk about a lot being too close to the subject. And I think that's true. He was like the angry yeah. father-in-law always, and I like having someone outside of that. I agree with that. I mean, at first I was I was a little turned off, especially when they started mentioning the Fortean was going down this road because he was so upset by what happened to his mentor. And he was he grew to understand Thunderbolt's anger. Yeah. But then, you know, when he found out that Thunderbolt turned himself into the Red Hulk, he uh, Fortean lost his his mind about it and was tremendously upset. And that's kind of the catalyst for a lot of what we're seeing in Immortal Hulk. I like that that bothered him, actually. What, seeing his mentor go that way? Ross turn into Red Hulk. I like that he was like, that is a step too far. Because it's a, it's an understandable character trait, mm-hmm. I think, to be like, you became the monster. But then it also, yep. cast in the light of him now becoming the Abomination, is clearly like, but you just did it. <laughs> you just did exactly yeah. what you said you didn't like. So I think he's got That's some a, complexity there. There's a weird sort of, um, I don't know, it, it felt like when the British Navy used to complain about people going native to his original concern about Hulk, that it, that it somehow tainted Thunderbolt to go that way. Mm. And now that he's wearing the armor, I could see him trying to justify it by this is a suit that I'm wearing. This isn't me. Yeah. Even though we see him bleeding something out of his nose and clearly going kind of crazy. Yeah. It's like, dude, you got abomination Um, coming out of your nose. (laughs) But yeah, right. Not that far removed. But I also find his initial, um, like, I I find Fortean's initial motivation in this kind of lacking. Like, he did not have enough skin in this game. I'm going to be fascinated where Ewing takes it, because I think in the next two issues, they're going to end the the Fortean arc. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure he'll come back in some kind of regard before this is all over. Yeah. Uh, But for right now, he doesn't feel truly personally invested to me like thunderbolt as, as even though he was way too close to the issue like he was out of his mind about it his so motivations issues, were clear as well yeah yeah right they were powerful and they were clear uh even with abomination you kind of got this idea of what was driving him and what was sending him forward mm-hmm. Fortean feels a little light on that to me but that might just be because this is stage one of whatever ewing has planned for him yeah the fact the fact that he's so light makes me wonder if there's a if there's a shoe to drop and specifically it makes me expect he is in some way controlled by the leader. <laughs> like yeah, I'm just constantly waiting for the leader to show up. I definitely think that there's something pushing him Yeah, just because it's such a big leap where we see the story of him talking to Thunderbolt and being so disappointed mm-hmm. and then jumping into him wearing the suit. Yeah. Right. Like it's such a big move that, yeah, you're right. I bet there's something else. Yeah. I, I'm I kind of hope there is, I guess, because yeah, I think he does need rounding out a little bit more. Um, I do think the like the whole the whole the institution versus the Hulk thing is pretty tired for me. Like it's a thing we've seen a lot. Um, you know, I think military versus Hulk tends to be pretty boring. I think that's another way that you know we talked about this breaking from the formula. That's one thing Ewing Bennett and everyone else involved have done really well because Shadowbase is it's fuzzy, it's dark ops, and it is a little bit different. You know, the stuff they're doing like. They they have these monitors that are like these people hanging from tech with like tech into their brains. And it's this weird like minority report sort of Cold War kind of thing. Cold, yeah. But they're also like they're funny. 
Like they kind of have that like, oh, bro, are you watching this? Like (laughs) this weird way of speaking, you know? So there's all these weird quirks. Again, we had like the dark mad scientist, again, literally had the Hulk split up into bottles and some of the most striking Mm -hmm. images in the entire sequence. And then two, they're experimenting on like the absorbing man, you know, like they bring him in and they experiment on him throwing gamma into him. And then obviously they're doing all this stuff with the abomination armor. So I find them more compelling than I found you know, stop, Hulkbuster operations yeah. in, in Marvel's well, usually, past. Usually, so much of the military in the past was used the same way that sort of Ang Lee's movie used it, and that it's an excuse to blow things up. Yeah. And there's very little of that with Shadow Base. You're right. There's no tanks. Because it's not interesting. It's not interesting. Like, I don't need to see more bombs dropped on the Hulk and know he's fine. It just doesn't do anything. And yet it was really interesting to watch Bushwhacker do ops in like populated areas. It, that was so much more compelling. Yeah, right, right. It, like to see, yeah, one individual, which I didn't realize it was like Bushwhacker <laughs> first love for like two issues. And then I was like, wait a minute. Oh, this is like another guy that I know? Interesting. Um, But yeah, like having one op be like, I'm going to shoot uh, this special cyanide holotip into the Hulk's eye at an opportune moment just to set him mm-hmm. off against uh, Gamma Flight, which is an element we barely even mentioned, which is like Alpha Flight turned Gamma Flight turned kind of like not Hulkbusters, but sort of like they're eh, trying to contain of. slash understand him. I, I don't know how much we need to get into that. Um, okay. All that said, the one I think probably the maybe last thing before we wrap up that I want to talk about is Ewing. He's very good at using Marvel continuity to tell stories. Uh, I think he has a better understanding of how to use like Marvel's entire history and in sort of seamless ways than really any creator working at the publisher currently. I think we saw this. I don't know if you read it, but in Marvel Comics 1000, like he's the, okay, he's the writer doing the framing sequences of like in the 1940s, this happened and that re- is relevant to this thing that happened in 1969. I've not read it. And that is relevant to this thing that's happening in 2019. It, like that's, that's kind of his mentality. And the Hulk, it obviously doesn't have to go that deep, but he's using a lot of like recent continuity, things like Civil War II, Secret Empire, as well as, of course, the Lee Kirby days of of the Hulk. The question I have here is continuity is typically seen as like a barrier to new reader-friendly books. I think Immortal Hulk is very quickly falling into the vein of a book that like Vision, like Hawkeye, you could turn to a, a somewhat new comics reader and say, hey, check this out. Like check out Immortal Hulk. It's a good way to get into comics. I think that's a really good, like there's a good strong argument for that to be made, except it's way more continuity heavy. How do you think they're pulling that off? And what, I think that like, what is the instruction or like what is instructive of this that could be used for other comics that struggle with continuity and with baggage of characters' history? I think they're doing a great job of giving it, giving continuity the time it needs to tell that part of the story without getting into the nitty gritty. Uh, I think they've done it well both with Sasquatch and with Fortean that there have been sort of dedicated issues to explain all of the things that you need to know about that and then mm-hmm. to keep touching on it later on to remind you. So it's it's useful information that you're carrying forward as opposed to sometimes deep pulls feel like they're just showing off, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot of that here. I would argue that when Ewing is showing off is stuff like the um, the remote viewing people from Shadowbase. They feel mm-hmm. very much like something out of David's run, that they feel that same mm. punny, humorous, out there, but also kind of spectacle and illustration that yeah. that's a great tonal reference without you really needing to know where it's coming from. You know, you can enjoy it for what it is and you might enjoy it even more 
if you're like, oh, I pick up on that as a, yeah. a, a subtle homage or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Like the fact that Jackie is from the 70s TV show is not, you know, it's not super necessary. Like, right. Like I read the entire story before we talked without that that knowledge. I don't feel like I missed anything. That's cool. I, I like that, you know, make all the references you want. But yeah, I don't think it changes the story. Um, I do think one thing he does amazingly well is the balancing act of leveraging continuity to tell the story he wants to tell anyway without being burdened by that continuity. So I referenced, you know, the Civil War II thing. Um, but basically, instead of being burdened by a not very good event, <laughs> he leverages it to set up a scenario where Bruce Banner can wholeheartedly admit, I think the Hulk's smarter than me now. And it's a really cool character detail. It's a really cool kind of inversion of the way we typically understand them that is based in something that happened in in a Marvel Comics event not that long ago, mm -hmm. you know? So it becomes relevant and it sets the stage for it's it it makes it feel like the event was always building to a mortal hulk. Yeah. As opposed to the other way around, which is how continuity can often feel. Like, oh, we're trying to work this in because it happened and editorial told us we have to. No, it makes it feel like they always had this plan, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, and your point, it just looks like the main inciting incident of Civil War II was the death of Bruce Banner. Yeah. That's really and clever. While, and while he's thinking about it, he's like he's investigating the, um, the gamma problem that he's there to be doing anyway. Yeah. So it's like nothing stops. Nothing stops to throw that continuity in. Mm -hmm. It just keeps telling the story, but it sort of brings up like, oh, here's this thing that happened, yeah. and here's why it matters for the story moving forward. I think that's super cool. The little um, I also with Hawkeye, and that's like the only character he really needed was that little payoff. That's great. Of course, yeah. actually, did that yeah. happen in Avengers or did that happen in Immortal Hulk? Were they those two which, meet up? Which moment? The moment when he where, meets Hawkeye again. Yeah, where he meets Hawkeye again. I think that was Avengers. I think it's Avengers because I haven't seen it yet okay. in um in Immortal Hulk. Yeah, because when he meets the Avengers and they fight, there's a moment there that I really like, which is uh he he's like there's this moment of of basically they're saying the Hulk can like smell lies in this kind of persona and he can like cut to the core basically yeah. of any of anyone. It's like he knows their deepest darkest secrets type thing, and he says to Cap when he's fighting him. He's like, I forget what he says, like, oh, it's Hydra Cap. Like, if I break off one of your heads, will one more take it place? And just immediately Cap's like, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> like, he's so sad. Yeah, we've never seen you Hulk know? be that psychological before, but that's really clever. Yeah, he gets in Jen Walter's head big time by basically saying, like, there's no difference between you and me. Um, and then the, the one I love the most is he's beating Iron Man to a pulp. T'Challa's like, you're going to kill Tony if you keep at this. Because they're still like, like, Hulk was on the Avengers, what, three years ago? You yeah. know, it hasn't been that long. Um, so there's always that sort of frenemy ship with them. But uh, but Hulk, or T'Challa says, you're going to kill him. He was your friend. And Hulk just scoffs at this. He's just like, what are you talking about? And I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think I talked about this the last time we talked. Hulk should always have a grudge against everyone who shot him into space. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it go. I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, you can always be mad about that. And, you know, Planet Hulk and World War Hulk happened. It's just a panel. He's just, like, laughing at that idea. And then he carries on into, to beating up the Avengers. So I think the instructive thing for me with Ewing using continuity like this is l leverage it to tell the story you were going to tell anyway. Mm. Don't try to respond to continuity. Like none of it is like course corrective, you know, or like trying to answer something. It's just using it. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's like, it's cool. If you know it, it's great. If you don't, you're not actually missing much. Yeah. Like you don't have to go back and read civil war two to enjoy the, the moment we talked about. It, it genuinely would not help.
So, all right. Cool, cool, cool. So I think that answers most of the questions that we had that we wanted to tackle. I did have one other, not even a question, just a fact. Mm. For those of you reading along at home, check out the cover to Immortal Hulk number 13. There is, in fact, comicbookherald.com referenced on the cover. I was super <laughs> excited to found this. I was literally in on the maternity ward celebrating the birth of my second son <laughs> and <laughs> and reading Immortal Hulk, and I found that the CBH was referenced on there. And I got to say, I don't want to pretend I was more excited about finding my name on the cover, but, but it was a contest for a moment. Um, so what I wanted to, why I wanted to bring that up is one, just to brag because I'm super excited about it. Um, but two, it was my favorite comic, my favorite Marvel comic, 2018. Where does it stand for you this year so far? Because again, like in terms of long running Marvel series, again, is it 22 issues? Venom, maybe Runaways, mm-hmm. books that have been running that long, like it's it's definitely around the top of them. Where do you have it this year? It's it's pretty high. There's a couple things it's going to have competition for, but so far I'd say it's probably in the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's pretty yeah. up there. I do think purely from a Marvel standpoint, I'm definitely more excited for House of X: Powers of Ten yeah. to come out now than I am at any point for Mortal Hulk, which is not a dig at Mortal Hulk so much as just that book is like an event, unlike. Unlike most things I've ever experienced, maybe that'll be a deep dive we do once it concludes. Um, but otherwise, like Marvel books that every week I'm just like issue to issue keeping up with because they're essential. It's kind of the Venom, Absolute Carnage, Kate's run, which have you been reading Absolute Carnage? I've been reading it a bit. Yeah. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's doing a lot of the same things as Hulk, actually, yeah. that I think in, in yeah, they've got ways. a devil anyway. in there. They've got some, you know, some interesting pulls from uh, continuity. Yeah, it's, it's there's a similar formula. That's a yeah, it's a good point. Um, long story short, Mortal Hulk's real good. I've yeah. got it probably number two, maybe three, in my favorites of Marvel for the year. But of course, we've got some time to go. All right, I think that was our main questions. Anything you want to talk about that popped up in your head while we were while we were conversing here? I think the big thing that popped in is. So there's been some some already some writing on the fact that how do you maintain stakes in a book that's called Immortal Hulk and is really leaning into the fact that death has been devalued in writing. And I think Ewing's been doing such a great job of going back in continuity and looking at where the third rails are, like yeah. whether or not Hulk kills people, his relationship to other Hulks and his feelings of responsibility. Uh, even the pull about his dad has been kind of a nice change of pace for where Hulk builds have been most recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's been an interesting way to show how old stakes can be new stakes again, rather than constantly piling things on top of the character and hoping that they stay upright. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's been an interesting balancing act that he's doing, and that's really what I'm appreciating right now. Well, and there's a depth to this book, I think, in the way you're describing. Like, we're 50 minutes into talking about Immortal Hulk, mm-hmm. and what you just brought up is one of the most interesting things to me, which is it, it kind of takes the the joke of like comic book death and just nullifies it Mm -hmm. like you know in superhero comics in marvel or dc if a character dies if there's a big death of it's like irrelevant and that's been the case for i mean definitely like almost all the 2000s right like and the the reason it's relevant is like everyone comes back so fast yeah and i think my attitude towards that a lot of times has been like the the famous ones so i'm not really spoiling anything because their stories are called the death of so don't get mad the death of Captain America, the death of Wolverine, mm-hmm. these stories, like, 
if they're good at well-told stories, my attitude has always been like, it's about the journey and the event and the story itself, not about like this character being taken off the table because you know they're going to come back. That's yeah. just how comic books work. There's a there's jokes in X-Men comics about everyone being like, yeah, we've all died at least <laughs> once. Like you can't find a character that hasn't yeah. and come back at this point. Like it's almost offensive if you're a character in the Marvel Universe that hasn't died and come back. Like that means <laughs> they, they don't care about you enough to give you that moment. Um, but what Immortal Hulk does is it's like, Bruce Banner's like, I die every night. <laughs> or like, not literally, but like he dies in this book, I mean, probably on page five to ten times, you know? And it's not a it's not a big deal because he's the Immortal Hulk. The Hulk comes back and he's going to reconstitute. Well, it's a brand new just curse. Like, like he, it is now yeah. unavoidable. He cannot die. There's no getting rid of the Hulk. And that's a thing that's been in, in Hulk comics is like, you know, Bruce, like, tempting or, like, considering suicide or something, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if I kill myself, will it even work? And, like, this this back and forth. And it's like, it just nullifies all that conversation, which is tired and not super interesting mm -hmm. at this point for Bruce Banner and the Hulk. And it just says, like, no, he, he, he will not ever go away. And, yeah. Bruce, you're always going to come back. And I, that's the other thing about Civil War Two is he's like, yeah, I was testing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I was, I was experimenting just to see would I come back. And lo and behold, I did. Now I got to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and it's just like it the death of type idea. It doesn't matter anymore in this book. And that's yeah, cool. not in this book. But what does that mean now when we can't take Hulk off the table? Is he just now a force that must always be considered? All mm. these things with Civil War One and Civil War Two are the fact that they always have to get Hulk and usually Thor off the table immediately in order to have this fight. Yeah. That you you need to get somebody off planet or dead or whatever. And now there's this idea that like you can no longer do that if you are yeah. going to have a knockdown, drag out, you know, all you know, uh, all consuming fight in Marvel. Hulk needs to be somewhere in that. What does that mean? You know, that's interesting. well. It's kind of an interesting thing where when they have, for example, the War of the Realms, which is the event that happened. Well, uh, the, I'm thinking like, well, what was the biggest Earth's under siege moment during the Immortal Hulk? It was War of the Realms. Where was Bruce? Like, it doesn't have a role. So I actually kind of like this idea of. Well, you don't have to take him off the board because he doesn't care. Yeah, well, he wants society <laughs> like, to fall, is that point. Yeah. Which we yeah. have completely forgot to mention, that the Hulk wants to just either actually destroy society or he wants to reduce it from what it is now to almost a primitive level. We don't know which. Well, I, I got to be honest. I don't totally get what his plan is. Like, it's it's sort of, it's almost thanos light. Where he's like almost like balancing the you know the population type it's thing because he's not like literally wiping out everyone yeah, to be no. alone, which would be the classic Hulk thing. It feels you more know? like Woodrow from Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is his plan. Okay, that, like a like a pure healthier. Society. Yeah, but like from a twisted evil mind, you know, it's yeah, nature right. is now going to be above mankind. But in a and that's where that's where Leonard Sampson makes the green the <laughs> green Hulk joke. Yeah, because it's like the eco friendly Hulk. Yeah. I, I got to be honest, like, I'm really curious to see how that plays out because the idea of mastermind Hulk villain, not the maestro, you know, mm -hmm. necessarily, maybe we're trending in that direction. I don't know, um, which I, sh I should mention. I actually read Contest of Champions oh. before we talked about uh, the Ewing written series. Mm -hmm. not it's right after Secret Wars. Okay. Maestro is like the main character in mm. that book. And so Ewing has a history writing this scheming kind of funny maestro Right. I would love to see the intersection of Immortal Hulk and his version of Maestro. Yeah, I can totally see that coming. Now that Hulk is smarter, that would be a really interesting fight. That would be a mm -hmm. thing that I don't think we've seen since uh, Professor Hulk days. Yeah. Like if, if a solicit for 
Hulk was like, uh, you know, it's got to be a better name than this, but like Days of Future Imperfect, mm. <laughs> you know, or something, right. where it was like they're gonna do a two issue Hulk in the Maestro Future Imperfect timeline. I would lose my mind. Like I would be extremely excited. Um, even though as I say that, I'm thinking, stop, stop recycling ideas, Marvel. It's gonna, it's a problem. <laughs> it would be interesting to see if it was a fight between which one of them could format Apocalypse themselves. Yeah. Like if they're okay. both out to end the world and that's their point of conflict, yeah, that's yeah. kind of fascinating. There you go. Right, just different versions. Yeah. Of like what is the healthy Yeah. So I'm 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 kind of seeing like um almost like they did with Reed Richards in the Ultimate Universe mm-hmm. where he's the maker, but he's not like he's he's a bad guy. Yeah. Right? Like he's a he's a prototypical bad guy, but he's got some interesting ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's really good at like executing them. I kind of like this Devil Hulk moving that direction, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I think that could be really compelling. So we'll see. We'll see where they take it. Um, it's got a ton of potential. It's obviously super popular. I'm loving it. I'm I'm super excited that a Hulk book is this good again, I guess, yeah. is the thing. Um, and, and this different, because it's got a lot of people excited about the character. I mean, probably the most since Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, which is 2007, yeah, 2008. Another thing that just like an easy way to make the book feel like it matters. Mm-hmm. You got Alex Ross covers on every issue. Yeah. Like it just sets the tone. You know what I mean? Like, you know what you're getting. You got Joe Bennett doing art for like a vast majority of it, even when he's taken like, or if they split it where it's like two artists working together, it's like different sequences. So they'll do Bennett in present day and it'll be like, Oh, here's the past of um, Crusher Creel, the absorbing man. That's all by the, the guest artist, but it's like, it, it feels like tonally. Okay. This book has a visual language. Um, my favorite issue of the whole thing is issue number three, I would still say, which is stories, point of view, stories of the Hulk told from these people in a church who witnessed him come in and like stop a gamma irradiated uh, quote unquote villain. But it's all from their different perspectives, but each perspective has a different artist. That type of thing, like the art matching the the tone and the yeah. perspective of the story is brilliant, I yeah. think. Because then it's not just like you pick up an issue and you're like, who who's drawing this what what happened to the book that i like you know right. that doesn't happen here it's awesome yeah i would i would like a couple more issues that are done from an outside perspective those do tend to be my favorite of them especially when you're talking about characters as big and powerful as the hulk uh mm-hmm. or superman or batman like i still go back to gotham central as the perfect example of you can tell so much about a character by removing them as much as possible from the story and that yeah. third issue was such a great way to to tell a lot of things that you couldn't tell otherwise in the story really, really quickly. I hope I hope they can back up to that type of story a little bit where it is outsider perspectives of the Hulk. I think I tend to t- find those fascinating. It's really moved into Hulk family, Gamma. You know, so we got Rick Jones being abused. We got uh, uh, Betty Banner in her harpy form all over the place. We got Leonard Sampson hulking out we had for a while walter linkowski sasquatch it was getting very gamma family um more traditionally superhero Mm -hmm. i think in a lot of ways i would like to see i don't know how you do it but bring it after this abomination arc with 14 that we mentioned get it yeah get more of just like some of that like inventive formalism they do have jackie there she'd be a great mechanism for it yeah like she'd be easy to turn on yeah do it do a jackie story you know I i think the last question that i've got before we head out is is this actually so traditionally Hulk is the story about anger or sadness or loneliness? Is this the story all of a Myrtle Hulk? Is this the story about greed? Because almost every character's intersection right now with Banner is about greed, is about um, 
envy for it that uh walter so Mankowski, like jackie, jackie wants to be betty yeah. uh arguably does now, betty you think i mean she went to become the red hulk right that was her initial story that she voluntarily well, the harpies before that i'm a little fu- i think the leader turns into a harpy i'm a little fuzzy on my um on my betty history but i, I hear what you're saying yeah, I think I think it's still they, they hit it hard enough for me that I can't shake thematically. It's still the question is or is he both? Yeah. But applied to everyone, and it's kind of ironically, it's kind of like the trite like uh, prestige TV guy looking in the mirror, like, "Am I a good man?" <laughs> like it's kind of that over and over, you know. Um, but I actually really like it in the context of the Hulk because it's basically welcoming. Like, is he the hero? Is he the monster? Or is he both? Well, of course he's both. Of course, like he should be both. Um, I guess the the one unexpected answer would be like, is he both? Nope, he's just the monster. <laughs> or he's neither. He's just the Hulk. It's almost at the point right now with the story that the Hulk feels like a like a true force of nature, like it mm-hmm. feels like something that's pre. It certainly predated our our previous history with Banner and our previous conceptions of when Hulk may have come into play. But right. if there is a hell. And if there is a hell for these hulks, doesn't that imply that there have been hulks for a long period of time? Hmm. That it's well, just been something that was waiting to be opened up by the green door? That's that's really interesting. So, the yeah, the way they play with the green door is like Hulk and all that gamble was just waiting mm-hmm. to come into our world. Like, it's just magic. Since Banner basically. was born, basically. But yeah. But, and, but then you also have things like Jason Aaron's prehistoric Avengers where, and I'm not 100% on this, but I feel like Starbrand... It's like basically a Hulk of the BC Avengers. I did not read that one. Yeah, I'll need to check that out again because what you're saying is really interesting because this could open it up to that sort of legacy immortal Iron Fist type style narrative where it's like, who was the Hulk before the Hulk? That type of story would be... Marvel's done a lot of that in recent years. Um, I, w- I could see it going that direction. That'd yeah. be cool. And that would be sort of in line with what's going on with Cates' work. Jason Aaron did a bunch with that, I think, um, with like different spirits of vengeance, you know, all over the world type thing. So that's where we get Knuckles O'Shaughnessy, uh, if memory <laughs> serves. <laughs> I think my favorite Ghost Rider. His run on that one. His run on Hulk was actually really fun. You know, I meant to go back and read that before we before we oh, talked. It's fun. I was kind of curious. Like, is it? Because I'm kind of curious. Because like, no, no one has gotten the attention of of what Ewing's gotten on the Hulk here, which I think is part of what we're talking about. Like, this book is a big deal. Yeah. Like, Immortal Hulk is critically and popularly like a very big deal at Marvel. It's in a way like that Batman you have numbers. Weight on it. Yeah, exactly. Like you had Mark Wade on it before this, you had Jason Aaron on it before this, and none of those came close to this level. So I, I find that really interesting. I can understand why Aaron's wasn't more popular because he wrote the kind of story you can only do when no one's looking. Like mm-hmm. he just went way over the top of it. I'm not gonna I won't spoil anything because it's a lot of fun. I kinda mean to go back and read it. It's yeah, good. It's, it's on my list. Next time in a maternity ward, I'll <laughs> queue up. <laughs> I'm just waiting for your wife to come bursting through the door and beat you for even suggesting yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was I was quite responsible in between uh in between Hulk binges. So, okay. All right. <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for us before I get myself in more trouble. Um yeah, this has been our deep dive on the Immortal Hulk. If you're enjoying these, thanks for listening. And you can find all the content over on compocarol.com. You can find more of my writing and John's writing there as well. You can find these conversations. Uh, the podcast is Best Comics Ever. The YouTube channel is at Comic Book Herald, where you can also find me uh, really anywhere on social. So again, if you're enjoying the deep dives too, I'll be trying to share these out through patreon.com slash Herald for readers so you can read along and then listen to and watch our conversations here. 
In the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, enjoy the comics. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.